From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. For much of the 20th century, Northern Ireland was marred by violence, as Irish Republicans and forces aligned to the United Kingdom fought over the future of the region. That conflict, known as the Troubles, officially came to an end with a peace agreement in 1998. But now, the violence is flaring up again, and there are concerns the fragile peace deal is on the verge of being shattered. Today, world editor for the Saturday paper, Jonathan Perlman, on what's behind the new wave of violence across Northern Ireland and what might happen next. Jonathan, could you start by telling me about what's happening on the ground in Northern Ireland right now? Yes. So over the past few weeks, we've seen violence erupt, mainly in working-class, unionist areas of Northern Ireland. So these are areas where the population is largely Protestant and largely pro-British. Police in Northern Ireland have used water cannon tonight as more petrol bombs and fireworks were thrown on the seventh night of violence on the streets of Belfast. There have been some clashes involving Republicans, and that's the segment of the population that is mostly Catholic and supports unification with Ireland. Police say the clashes between Catholic and Protestant communities last night were some of the worst violence they have seen in recent years. But there's been fighting and clashes across Northern Ireland, mainly in Derry and Belfast. Attention, attention, this is a police warning. Disperse immediately or water cannon will be used. We've seen things like a, a bus that was hijacked and burning in the middle of the street in Belfast. petrol bombs, police under attack. And on several occasions, rioters have broken through the peace gates that separate the the unionist and Republican neighbourhoods in Belfast. There's been as many as 100 police officers injured so it's been quite confronting violence across Northern Ireland in different parts of different cities. This has really been some of the worst unrest in Northern Ireland in decades. And it's been reminiscent of the Troubles, you know, the long period of violence in Northern Ireland that lasted about 30 years and ended up leaving almost 4,000 people dead, including over a 1,000 civilians. So things have really escalated by the sound of it. I have a a fairly general sense of what the, the troubles were, this period of intense violence and instability. But can you tell me more about what was happening in Northern Ireland then and how things got to that point? Well, it was a terrible period for Northern Ireland, for Ireland generally. But To understand the Troubles, you need to go a long way back to the very beginnings of British invasions of Ireland. And that 
increase, the, the sort of settlement and colonisation by Britain of Ireland increased in the, in the 1600s. Ireland became part of the United Kingdom, but Ireland has its own language and its culture and there was a strong independent sentiment amongst the majority of the people of Ireland. And this ended up with a situation where in Northern Ireland, most of the people were British or pro-British and, and Protestant. And in the rest of Ireland, the majority was Catholic. And so you had this war for independence, which eventually led to Ireland becoming an independent country in the 1920s. But the fate of Northern Ireland really remained unresolved. There was constant violence, which really erupted in the 1960s. That's the British Army. Professionals, professional looters, professional robbers, professional thieves. And lasted all the way until the 1990s. And really the violence spread across Britain. One of the most famous events was Bloody Sunday in the early 1970s when British soldiers shot 26 civilians in Derry during a protest there. So it was a really terrible period that lasted decades and involved constant violence until finally there was a, a peace agreement that ended the troubles. Good evening. A historic day at Stormont after two years of talks and after a generation of bloodshed and decades of division and acrimony, George Mitchell ushers in what the whole island hopes will be a new era of peace. An agreement Under the 1998 peace agreement, Northern Ireland remained part of the United Kingdom, but there was no border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. And there's a power-sharing agreement and really, I suppose, a, a fragile peace which has held and held quite well until really the scenes in recent weeks began to raise concerns about the duration and durability of that peace. Right, and so when you think back to that period, it is often synonymous, I think, with the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, can you tell me a bit more about them and, and their role in the fight for independence? So the IRA really dominated the Catholic Republican cause. The IRA has gone through various iterations and splintered at various times, mainly splintering over the use of violence. But effectively, the IRA led the fight during the Troubles against the British, fighting for... Northern Ireland to be a part of Ireland. There were various famous moments in IRA history and one of them was in 1983 when there was this incredible prison break from May's prison. This was a maximum security prison run by the British which was thought to be escape-proof and the IRA managed to smuggle in some knives and guns and 38 prisoners were able to escape. It was the biggest prison break and still remains the biggest prison break in British history. And one of the leaders of that prison break was a man called Bobby Story. They need to understand from us, we've been at this a very long time. 
We are on a particular journey. Republicanism is developing across the island. We are on a road to a new and modern and united Ireland. Nothing will deflect us. He had joined the IRA as a teenager, been active since he was very young, served his first jail term as a 17-year-old, and he really became known after that prison escape as one of the leaders. The escape itself had a massive effect on the struggle here. It was probably one of the biggest morale boosters and the biggest mobilising incidents. He once said at the jailbreak, we shafted Maggie Thatcher. He really saw it as a defeat of the British. It earned him heroic status in the IRA. He went on to head intelligence for the IRA in the 1990s and later he encouraged hardliners to support the peace process. And so Story, after the peace agreement, remained closely involved with Sinn Féin, which is the political party or political wing associated with the IRA. But last June, in June last year, Bobby Story died. We gather here today, heartbroken, pre in this place, so special to Irish Republicans. And what happened afterwards is really critical to the current unrest. We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For long-time editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for. Please, <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy. Yeah, yeah, if, that's, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Jonathan, we're talking about the recent outbreak of violence in Northern Ireland. Can you tell me a bit more about how this began, how the the death of former IRA leader Bobby Story comes into this? Yeah, so last June, Bobby Story died. He was 64 years old. He died of natural causes. But because of his status in the IRA, this this was an important moment and there's a long history of, of sort of big... IRA funerals. And so a lot of people came out for this funeral, about 2,000 people. The issue was that this was in the middle of the COVID outbreak and there was a rule restricting public gatherings and funeral gatherings to 30 people. And that that rule had been strongly supported by Sinn Féin, by the Republicans who who were members of the Northern Irish Assembly. The funeral caused public outrage. It was heavily, heavily criticised. And while I can understand people paying their respects in the streets, Deputy, I can't understand or accept a political rally in Milltown Cemetery. 
including from the four political parties with which Sinn Féin shares power in Northern Ireland. For Sinn Féin, however, they chose to act in a way that breached the regulations on funerals at that time, and in so doing, happily sent a signal to everyone else in Northern Ireland that it was one rule for them and one rule for the rest of us. That was in June last year. At the end of March, prosecutors announced that they were not going to charge any of the Sinn Féin politicians who'd attended the funeral. They said that the public health rules had been unclear. This decision not to prosecute after, you know, these televised images of of this well-attended funeral led unionists to start clashing with police. And what we've seen since is some of the worst violence in Northern Ireland in years. But while the Bobby Story funeral was really the spark for that latest violence that we've seen, A deeper cause really was the ongoing tensions that have been stirred up by Brexit. Can you explain that for me? How does Brexit come into this? So the Good Friday Agreement in 1998 resulted in in effectively no, no border between Northern Ireland and Ireland. But Brexit has really messed this arrangement up in ways that it seems like nobody foresaw. The problem is that Ireland is part of the EU and Northern Ireland is now no longer part of the EU. So this creates obvious problems because Ireland and the EU you know, have no tariffs, just like Britain used to. But now, effectively, Britain has left the EU, tariffs have been reintroduced, regulations have been introduced, and it creates a real problem because the decision became about whether to... Um, impose some sort of border controls between Northern Ireland and Ireland, or whether to um, do what they have done, which is to effectively create some sort of trade border in the Irish Sea. There will not be checks on goods going from Northern Ireland to Great Britain, because we're the government of the United Kingdom and we will not institute or implement or enact such checks. Even though Boris Johnson promised and he's continued to promise as late as last year that there would be no border in the Irish Sea, Brexit has meant that a border had to go up and that's where it's gone up because putting up a hard border between Northern Ireland and Ireland would just be too contentious. He insisted there'd be no checks uh, on the border between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Well, it's not quite like that in this document because... uh, But this has really outraged the unionists because it's creating a de facto separation between Northern Ireland and the rest of Britain. Right, so there's a fear here that Northern Ireland is becoming more removed from the UK because of this border in the Irish Sea. So despite the Good Friday Agreement, which ended the troubles, these border issues, they're back in play. Well, the concern of the of the unionists is that Northern Ireland will one day be unified with Ireland and that Northern Ireland will no longer be part of Britain. And that trade border in the Irish Sea is really emblematic of the beginnings of a shift towards that. But Brexit has seen a rise in independent sentiment in Scotland. You know, it's, it's really um, showing fractures in the United Kingdom. The Irish Sea barrier is part of that. So the unionists are just watching 
as Brexit is undermining the arrangements that have, that have really guaranteed their, their security. And they're now fearing the kind of demise of Great Britain, which they saw themselves as part of. Jonathan, thank you for your time. Thanks, Ruby. Winnie Dunn has made a career out of helping others find their literary voice, and now it's her turn in the spotlight. This week on Read This, join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Winnie about her debut. Find it wherever you listen. Also in the news today, the snap lockdown in Perth ended at midnight last night after Western Australia recorded no new community cases of coronavirus in the preceding 24 hours. Premier Mark McGowan said that almost 30,000 tests had been conducted in the state since Friday. And Nomadland has swept the major awards at the 93rd Academy Awards yesterday, picking up the Oscars for Best Picture, Best Director and Best Actress. The win makes director Chloe Zhao the first woman of colour to win Best Director and only the second woman ever to win it. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.